The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Perfunctory. Of course, they were going to expand the playoffs from 12 to 14. And here's how it's going to go, Chris. One team out of what would have been an extra 60 playoff teams if there had been 14 since 1990 that would have had a losing record. So I don't think that's really a concern. What's your dog's name? Bentley. Who's a good boy, Bentley? Hey, Bentley. Hi, Bentley. Bentley's a good boy. Hi, Bentley. Hi, Bentley. How he much does he weigh? He sits here next to me the whole time and does why I do the show. Actually, he doesn't sit there the whole time. I got multiple emails from people yesterday that Chris had a werewolf lurking behind him on multiple occasions during the show. I didn't even notice it, but we played the clip. My goodness, he's menacing. I would not. I would sleep with one eye open with Bentley around. Uh, well, he's a sable German shepherd. He's our second German shepherd we've uh, had. uh, And. Where we just love the breed. I mean, they're so smart. They're so good. You know, they're not a high energy dog. They don't need to be running around going crazy. He's sitting here right now, right next to me, dead asleep on the floor. You know, uh, but he's been in a, he's a year old and he's been a, a great addition to our family for sure. Yeah, you said he's a sable German Shepherd. I hope I hope he's a stable German Shepherd because if that dog decides <laughs> to turn, get out of the way, get out of the house. Only lock the with doors people from West Virginia. He's trained wow. to bite anybody that steps on the property from West Virginia. <laughs> I'll never come to your house. I will never come. Don't now you invite me. When you when I wanted to come to your house, you never invited me. Now that you know I won't come, that you you'll you'll invite me every weekend. All right, it's come Pro over. Football Talk Live. It's a Thursday edition, NBCSN, and uh, you know we're, we're here to provide you with, uh, yep, number one, NFL information, number two, a break from all the crap that's going on in the world, and number three, maybe a laugh or two, maybe just something to put a smile on your face, make you forget about all the things out there that are, are bringing us down for good reason, whether it's the, the, the physical illness created by the coronavirus pandemic, the, the mental stress that millions are dealing with. And I know for me, Chris, it's the two hours a day that I can – kind of wall myself self off from it and not obsess over it and worry about things and 
And uh, I know we still talk about it from time to time, but it's different because we're so focused on the show. I know for at least two out of 24 hours, I, I can't just kind of sit around and worry and worry and worry about where this is all going, what it's going to do to the economy, what it's going to do to the people, what it's going to do to everybody, what it's going to do to people's mental health. Yeah, this, and now, of course, now that I'm talking about it, I'm worrying about it again. But generally speaking, the two hours we do the show, we can forget about that stuff. And hopefully the people who are watching can forget about it just for a little bit, too. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it's been great. It's been great for me. I've gotten great feedback from friends and family that enjoy watching it. There's not a lot going on. And, you know, that's, a, again, another reason that I know not everybody's in favor of it, but I, I do want the NFL draft for some of the positive things you wrote about on, on, on ProFootballTalk.com yesterday. I mean, you're, it's just a great escape. You know, everybody's looking for it. You know, you're sitting at, around at home and you're bored. You know, there's there's nothing you can do at times but go, oh, let me see what the update is on the news today. What's going on? And then all of a sudden you realize you're sitting there watching it for 45 minutes and it's one bad story after another and you do stress out. So uh, I have been fun. I'm getting in the groove finally of getting used to being in my house and doing this show. Uh, it is very comforting. I can see why you like it. Um, but but it's been a great escape. And I, I enjoy talking to you, even though, you know, you're crazy a little bit. But, you know, on, on the draft, I mean, look. Uh, is it bad optics? I don't know. I thought it was worse, worse optics to have free agency and have millions of dollars being handed out to football players while people were in the early stages of coming to grips with the potential uh, physical and financial effects of this pandemic. But th there are millions who aren't going to get sick, tens of millions, hundreds of millions who aren't going to get sick, but they are at home as we try to limit the spread of this thing. And we have to be thinking about what gets them through each day? And for people who are NFL fans, and there are millions of NFL fans, we got three weeks. We got something to look forward to for the next three weeks. And then we got three days where we can immerse ourselves, and that gets us through to the end of April. And then you find something else that you look forward to that gets you through to the point where society gets back to some semblance of normal. So that's why we're doing this. That's why the draft is going forward. And that's why I think it's the right move for the draft to go forward because there are millions out there who need to feel like there's some reason to just keep going. We need to keep going one day at a time, one hour at a time. It feels like we're climbing a mountain. We don't know where the top is. We just need to have ways that will encourage us all to keep climbing. All right. Uh, Alden Smith climbing back into the National Football League, maybe. He's on a roster now. Jay Glazer reported last night that Alden Smith has been signed by the Cowboys, a one-year deal worth up to $4 million. But remember this, and we talked about it at length last hour, just because he's got a team doesn't mean he's got a job. He has to be reinstated, and the new CBA, which relaxes dramatically the rules applicable to violations of of the substance abuse policy, marijuana and other street drugs, non-PEDs. You can't be suspended for a positive test moving forward. It doesn't change anything for the guys who have been suspended before the CBA was put in place. The rules are the same. The guys who were out indefinitely are still out. The commissioner still has the sole discretion to decide who gets back in, Chris. And Alden Smith has got to persuade the commissioner to let him back in. And it's not just marijuana violations. His most recent infraction was uh, arising from allegations of hit and run and vandalism and DUI. It's not going to be easy for him to get back in. The Cowboys apparently have reason to think he's getting back in or they wouldn't have signed him. But he still is going to have to convince the commissioner that the time has come after five years out of the game to get back in. Yeah, I mean, you're right. And right now it means nothing. I mean, it's not like he got any guaranteed money or anything like that. He's going to have to make the football team to get the $4 million. You know, this is a long layoff for I don't care how talented you are. 
man, I don't know if I can remember. We talked about this before. You know, I think there's Deion Sanders, him retiring and going back to Baltimore. You brought up Robert Edwards. But I just can't think of a, a model or, or anything we've seen here where a guy has missed this amount of time and then came back and was able to have some success in the NFL. The guy is super talented when he was in the prime of his career. He was one of the best defensive players in football. And I'm not shocked the Cowboys took a chance on him. I mean, the Cowboys, like I said in the first hour, they're a little bit of the Al Davis, Oakland Raiders theme of, you know, they want speed and size and freaky players and they collect them. And Alden Smith has a chance to be that. But, you know, I do question it with this long of a layoff. I mean, think of it. They've got three defensive linemen now who are all tied to the team or at least had ties to the team. I don't know if they cut David Irving loose, but Randy Gregory, David Irving, and Alden Smith all on indefinite suspension by the NFL all have to get reinstated by the league before they can put on that silver helmet with the blue star. All right, Tua Tagovailoa, he would like to put on the silver helmet with the blue star. He has been candid about that. That's not going to happen. His dad, a huge Cowboys fan, got to meet Emmett Smith at the Super Bowl when Tua was on our set. His dad was very excited to see Emmett Smith, Tua, a Cowboys fan, Tua, a fan of getting drafted as high as possible, and he said via NFL Network on Wednesday, I feel 100%. I feel like if there was a game today, I'd be able to go out and perform the same way I was able to perform in previous years. I feel as mobile as possible. I feel 100%. That's coming off of that hip surgery as a result of the injury he suffered last year. Chris, I mean, look, I I, I know that he's going to say this. He's expected to say it. The problem is no team is going to be able to take a look at him physically no medical recheck no physicals no nothing because of the coronavirus pandemic Tua Tonga Vailoa and other injured players who are trying to show that they're healthy one of the biggest victims of these new circumstances because they may slide in the draft due to the fact that the information just isn't going to be there so people can say with certainty yes these guys are fine yeah well it is it's a, it's going to be a big struggle for them in that way you're you're right I mean there's going to be teams that certainly have questions about Tua and he's you know, would be one of the lead guys in the draft as far as what, you know, a guy you want to do a medical evaluation with. Definitely. Now, you know, whether he's 100% or not, you know, I don't know. Of course, you know, like you said to start the show at, at 7 a.m. Eastern, you know, what do you expect him to say? Of course he's going to say that. But I do think he's 100% as far as being able to go out in the field, you know, do workouts. If it did come to the time where somebody wanted to come w- watch him work out and throw footballs in an indoor environment or something like that, I think that he could, you know, show that, hey, I'm moving, throwing, doing everything that way uh, at 100% capacity. Now, it's a different, you know, different story once you start getting into contact and things like that. But I think the Tua conversation to me is one of the most intriguing things about this draft. You know, like I said, I think I like the player. I think he's a little overhyped because of the Alabama machine. And then there's the injury concern for a guy who plays small and is not overly fast and plays kind of a chaotic style of football, to me, that's where it's really scary. And I'm just interested to see where teams value him. Because like I said, there's no way I would draft two in the top 10. You've got Jordan Love higher than Tua Tonga-Vailoa on your quarterback rankings. And Jordan Love reportedly has had contact with multiple teams. Saints, Packers, Chargers, Raiders, Dolphins, Colts. Packers, hmm, Packers, Chris, uh uh-oh. Uh, your Aaron Rodgers tattoo is going to start to to throb at the news of, <laughs> of Rodgers possibly being replaced. But here's the thing. Remember, because these teams can't do the traditional visits, they're allowed to talk to as many prospects as they want three times a week, up to three hours per conversation. So 
look, if you're Jordan Love, why wouldn't every team give him a phone call? So I don't read a whole lot into it this year because of the fact that there is no limit on the number of prospects you can talk to. And there's definitely incentive on the part of the agent for Jordan Love to to let someone in the media know that Jordan has spoken to the Saints, the Packers, the Chargers, the Raiders, the Dolphins, and the Colts. Yeah, well, yeah, no, no doubt about it. I mean, that's, you know, propaganda. That's what an agent's supposed to do, definitely. You know, yes, and, you know, you think of it, those teams there, right? You know, I think ultimately, you know, uh, Jordan Love is one of those guys that probably, in my book, is worth, like, somewhere between 21 and pick 32. And I think if you look a lot of those teams, that's where they could end up picking. Now, the Chargers, the Dolphins, they are the type of team that, ooh, would they trade, you know, trade up to get back up into the, the, the back part of the first round to maybe get a Jordan Love? I don't think, like, the Chargers and Dolphins are looking there to take Jordan Love at five or six. To me, again, I really like Jordan Love. I think his ceiling is as high as anybody in this draft. You know, him and Justin Herbert, he has some superstar qualities. You know, you talked about Aaron Rodgers. There's some things on film, Mike. You know, again, now there's some things where you go, why did he throw that? You know, ooh, he was a little inaccurate with that throw. Why didn't he just throw that missile he threw just two seconds ago on the same exact throw? So there's a little rawness to his game. But you also got to take into account when the team was better two years ago, his stats were like 32 touchdowns and six interceptions. And also, Mike, you know, I see him do Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes type things, throwing the ball sometimes. And that's what I get excited about. I mean, he makes some throws in every game where I just go, there's only a few guys in the NFL who could make that throw. And I think that's what you got to be excited about Jordan Love. He's not a guy that I look as a top 10 pick. He's, you know, a little raw that way. He'd be the perfect guy you want to sit for a year and then let him take over the football team. But I think he's got big time high end potential. And remember, there's always attraction by teams to swoop back into the bottom of round one and take a quarterback there because you get the fifth year option. Teddy Bridgewater was the last pick in round one in 2014. The Vikings swung a deal with, I think it was the Texans at the time to get that pick. And in 2018, it was the Ravens who got back into the bottom of round run to get Lamar Jackson with pick number 32. Lamar Jackson, the 2019 NFL MVP. So you get him for five years. You don't get yourself into a Dak Prescott situation. You have one more year with that option before you find yourself possibly having to franchise tag your quarterback if you can't work out a long-term contract. A big issue for these teams that are trying to find franchise quarterbacks. All right, one more point before we take a break. John Crick of the Toronto Sun spoke to Dean Blandino, who used to be the NFL's VP of officiating, now is a rules consultant with Fox. Blandino said the competition committee has come around. I guess Blandino's reporting that. He's spoken to people who have said the competition committee has come around on the idea of the Sky Judge, Chris. The Sky Judge could be finding support for the but now look, just because the competition committee's on board doesn't mean the owners are going to be on board. They may not want to spend the big mamu on having an extra official at every game. And I don't know what the shape or the form of the sky judge will be, but you know, this is what we want. I want someone there to bridge the gap off the field. Someone who's in a booth watching all the camera angles we see at home, who is able to communicate directly with the officials on the field who are trying primarily to not get trampled by the gladiators Tell them what they've missed in real time. Let them know right away. Pick up a flag, drop a flag, move the ball. Yes, there was a fumble. No, there wasn't a fumble. We made a mistake. Let's fix it. The perspective of someone who sees what we're seeing and can assist in the officiating process, that's what they need, and hopefully they're moving in the direction to do that. 
No, you're right. I, I think there's great value in that. And Mike, I give you all the credit. I mean, this was this was you from the get go. You've been you know banging on the table for this, and you know, really honestly, I don't think it's come up, or, or if it's you know supposedly true what Dean Blandino's saying. I don't think that comes up unless you uh, haven't been saying it. You've been very consistent with it. I'm with you. At first, I questioned it, but I think it makes a lot of sense, especially this day and age where we're at right now with gambling, uh, legal legalized gamble gambling, and everything like that. I almost said it again. Legal. <laughs> Homer Simpson. Homer <laughs> yes, Simpson making but, a guest but appearance I think, on PFT Live today. We're going to do some, some gambling after the show, Chris. <laughs> Uh, I guess gambling, but that's that's um, you know one of the things though to to me too that you know it's great here. Not that the sky judge will get every call right, but again to what you said, Mike, it's going to make consumers, people watching the game, just a little bit more comfortable if you're betting money on a weekly basis to go. All right, well here's another you know another factor or another you know box that has to be checked to make sure calls are the right way and there's a little more oversight here so I, i'm all in favor of it and, and let me tell you it's becoming an annual thing and i know rich mckay drafted you when you were in tampa so you've got a soft spot for him but you know the the process starts every year with rich mckay saying nah 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 and then by the time the time comes to actually do it he's just it's a 180 um, I, I don't know what it is, but last year it was the whole thing. Ah, we're not going to do anything about replay review for pass interference. We're not going to fix that. We're fine with that. It only happens once every hundred years. We're fine with it. And then they put in replay review for pass interference this year. Nah, sky judge, that's not going to happen. And now they're moving in the direction of at least recommending it. But again, at least 24 owners have to agree to that. It's going to be a topic they take up in May. They still haven't scrapped their plans to meet in LA in May. Uh, I don't think they're going to be meeting in L.A. in May. I think there's going to be another conference call at which this topic gets discussed, and we'll see if there's enough support among the owners to push it through. All right, we're going to take a break. Football Week in America features a Brett Favre doubleheader tonight. When we return, we're going to look back at his most infamous and notorious drive as a member of the Minnesota Vikings. Paul oh, Allen, baby. look away. Look Here away, we go. Paul Allen. Florio, we'll look away. Right look away, this. Florio. Don't cry. <laughs> But was he in bounds? That's the question. One down, oh, no. the other out. Pass is incomplete. It'll be second down on the 35-yard line. You'll see that game tonight on NBCSN Football Week in America. Brett Favre's second trip back to Lambeau Field didn't go as well as the first one. 2010, it was a Sunday night football game. Al Michaels, Chris Collinsworth on the call. And then at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, Bears-Packers from 2015. Favre did not play in that game. That was the night his number was retired at Lambeau Field. So uh, Brett Favre night on Football Week in America, only on NBCSN, beginning at 7 p.m. Eastern. Chris, that leads us to uh, something that is going to be very painful for me. We did deja vu last week with a great Cam Newton drive against the New England Patriots, his first game against the Patriots in 2013. 
Brett Favre's stint with the Vikings may be most remembered for his gaffe in the 2009 NFC Championship game against the Saints. Let's look back at the last drive in regulation. Game tied as the Vikings are one drive away from the Super Bowl. 28-28, 2.37 to play. The Vikings have the ball. And the Vikings had outplayed the Saints all day long. And Brett Favre had wasn't been even close. He had been... He had been battered and bruised all day long, and here he is with a chance to get back to the Super Bowl and possibly win the second one of his career. The drive begins, as most Vikings drives did for a decade or so, with a run to Adrian Peterson. Well, they, they should have started uh, with Adrian Peterson. I mean, he was arguably the best player in football right now at this point of his career. But, Mike, I think that's the first thing you said. You know, this was a t- this, I can't I can remember watching this game coming away going man the poor Vikings they were clearly the better team uh, on that night but messed it up with just mistake after mistake. And it started early with Adrian Peterson fumbling the ball right. multiple times. It could have been a blowout. It shouldn't have been 28-28 with 2.37 to play with the Vikings driving for the win. There's another run to Adrian Peterson who gets a couple of yards. They're going to face third and eight early in the drive. This is a key conversion attempt coming up or the Saints get it back possibly with a short field possibly win the game in regulation and not as they ultimately did in overtime well and and to your point they converted third downs all night I'm looking at the stats right now they're seven for 12 on third down we know they're going to convert this because Brett Favre is one of the greatest third down quarterbacks we've ever seen because of his talent and he throws a rifle there into the slot off his back foot and they get the first down and Bernard Berrien does a great job of making the catch short of the sticks, shaking off a tackler and getting the extra yards. Yes, uh, shaking off a tackler, I guess you said there. Uh, but Tackler. Yes. <laughs> I said, don't, listen, don't try to throw your gambleizing <laughs> onto me, Chris Sims. <laughs> uh, but, man, uh, I know, M- Mike, here's some other stats. 475 yards total for Minnesota, 257 for the New Orleans Saints, 36 minutes of time possession to 27. 165 rushing to 868, 310 pass yards to 189, but five turnovers by your Vikings and only one for the Saints. And that's why this game's 28-28. Sidney Rice had arguably the best year of his career in 2009, his first season with Wow, a 20-yard gain here. And that's, that's the moment when my son and I were watching the game and I said to him, Holy crap, I think the Vikings are going to the Super Bowl. On that play, that was the moment I thought it was happening. The jinx is in. Florio jinxed him right there, everybody, just so you know. That's when he did it. Hey, here's but here, here we go. Next play, Chester Taylor, the guy who was a very good running back before Adrian Peterson was drafted. All of a right. sudden, here it is. That's the moment where I said I was right. I didn't jinx them. And what? Let's see. Where are they at right there now? They're about the thirty-four yard 33 line. Thirty-three yard line. Thirty-three the, yard line, on the verge of field goal position. Like, just be careful with the ball. You just need a few more yards, and you're going to win the game. Five, six more yards, the game's over. Hey, Saints took their last time out there because they knew, uh oh, we got to slow this down. We got to hope we get the ball back with some time on the clock because these guys are going to take it right down the field on us. Um, so, uh, it's, it, uh, obviously we know how it ends and I can see it all coming. And there's Ryan Longwell getting ready for what would have been a potential game winning field goal. If he'd ever gotten a chance to go onto the field and try to kick it, but he did not because, uh, the Vikings, as we're about to see, boy, this is excruciating. Could we have not, is this the this play up? right so, here? Is this so, it? I no, no, not yet. And we still, I still have to, I still have to sweat through this some more. God, some bad feelings are coming back. Chester Taylor again. 
trying to get the ball a little bit closer. That on well, first and ten goes nowhere. Uh, and like, and, are they and, scared know, they, of Adrian Peterson right here because of his fumbles, so they don't want to give him the ball at the end of the game? Because I look at that play before that and go, ooh, if that's Adrian Peterson running, that might have been a touchdown or at least another 15 well, or 20 yards, 20 yard gain. Adrian Peterson makes an appearance on second and 10 and you'll see that Adrian Peterson, there he is in the huddle. Uh, they're not worried about another fumble from Adrian Peterson, Daryl Bevel, the offensive coordinator, Brad Childress, the head coach at the time, second and 10 from the 33. I think the Vikings at this point, you know, get a little tight, get a little nervous. Like, Oh, here we are. Super Bowl's in our grasp. Let's not screw it up. Adrian Peterson, yep. maybe a little careful not to, not to fumble the football. Doesn't really do sure. much to break free. No gain. Now here is when, it gets very interesting, and it gets very painful if you're Paul Allen or any Vikings fan. This may be the point where you do change the channel for a couple of minutes. Usually, I don't recommend this. Vikings fans, you can change the channel for a little bit, but make sure you come no, back. The Vikings I, we take wanna, a timeout. Don't out. do that. We want to watch you squirm. Don't Vikings do that, Vikings take, fans. Vikings, see number t- uh, 38, Tahi. Vikings take the timeout, okay? And uh, they they uh, what is it? there? There's the timeout for Brett Favre. He he sees something he doesn't like. He takes the timeout, and this is the moment where the Vikings' opportunity to get back to the Super Bowl for the first time since 1976 begins to implode because it is the timeout. There's Pete Morelli. Oh no, there's the fly. That's uh, it. Uh oh, there were 12 men in the huddle. Uh, Fahu Tahi or Tahu Fahi. I can't remember his name. He's the That's fullback. I remember the circumstance. Unbelievable the ex- in that moment. Coming out of a timeout. Coming out of a timeout, Chris. They should have fired Brad Childress after that game. 12 men in the huddle coming out of a timeout with the Super Bowl on the line. Five yards back, and they couldn't just go ahead and try the 50-yard field no. goal there. That's when Brett Favre decides, well, I better do something to try to get the team a little bit closer for this Ryan Longwell field goal well, attempt that will vault us to the Super Bowl. So here it is, third and 15 from the 38. Brett Favre steps up to the line of scrimmage. Super Bowl in their grasp. Man in motion, a little left to right there. Favre rolls to his right. Oh, he could run. He could get it closer, but no, he throws it across his body like Brett Favre always did. Tracy Porter there to pick it off. And son of a, the Vikings blow their chance to get back to the Super Bowl. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, well, hey, the 12 men in the huddle, it's, it's inexcusable. That put them in this spot to where they had to call this type of play. You know, basically they ran. You've always heard, right? John Gruden, Spider 2, Y banana. That was Spider 2 Buckeye right there, okay, which would not be one of my favorite plays. And anybody that's defended the West Coast offense knows that that's a go-to play in those type of moments. And Brett Favre has probably run that play a thousand times in his life. For him to make that mistake, uh, I mean, just inexcusable. And to think, it's the second NFC championship game out of three years where he ends the game with a hard, you know, a bad interception. Cause he did it in 2007 when he was with the Packers against the giants too. But man, Mike, um, if you made me bet money, if you guys went to the Super Bowl that year, you probably would have won it. I think you were the best team in football, but you know, just didn't take advantage of what was there to be had. And you could still suffer as a Vikings fan. Sorry. And, and there is an excellent soundbite out there. Go to YouTube and type in Paul Allen, this is not Detroit, because he got so cranked up and he ultimately was shouting, this is not Detroit, man, this is the Super Bowl. He was so upset that Favre threw that pass as recklessly as he did. But hey, if you want Brett Favre on your team, that's, that's what right. you get. You got to take the bad with the good, and you never know when the bad is going to rear its ugly ass head. All right, let's take a break. Uh, in honor of... 
Brett Favre, although I don't feel like honoring him very much after watching that. We're going to draft the top revenge games in NFL history next here on PFT Live. Football Week in America tonight, 7 Eastern, Vikings versus Packers from 2010. The second installment of Brett Favre's return to Lambeau Field. Uh, first one went well, second one did not. Second game, Bears-Packers, 9.30 Eastern, 2015, the night that they retired Favre's number. All right, so Favre's return to Lambeau inspires today's draft. Best revenge games in NFL history let's get it started this segment we'll see if we can cram it in or if we have to carry it over chris asked me the trivia question to see who gets the first pick all right though he won three mvps with the packers breck Favre actually had a higher passer rating with the vikings what qb owns the record for the highest career passer rating with the vikings oh wow i thought you were going to say the packers and i'm thinking this is too easy with the Vikings, the highest career Packer uh, passer rating would probably belong to Wade Wilson. Sorry, it is your own favorite quarterback, Kirk Cousins. Oh, no. See, that no. just tells you how crazy the league is, though, right now, too, and how much of it's yeah. a passing quarterback-friendly league. I mean... You know, Joe Montana, who was like the king of the quarterback rating in the late 80s, early 90s, would be like in the middle of the NFL this day and age. That's how different in, uh, the, the game has become. But you got it wrong. <laughs> Go ahead. You get the first yeah. pick. I mean, this is the easiest first pick we've had all week. Brady, Brady Deflategate Revenge. Okay, whether you think he's guilty or not guilty, it doesn't matter. It's the greatest revenge story ever. I mean, to go 0-4, you know, be suspended for the first four games of the year, then go to the Super Bowl, then be down 28-3, to then come back, and then have the guy who suspended you hand over the Super Bowl and MVP trophy, that to me is the ultimate revenge. Whether he was guilty or not, it doesn't really matter at that point. He, he was pissed off and he wanted his revenge and the Patriots wanted it too. And they got it. And to me, that will always go down as a, one of the best revenge performances ever. And I remember thinking in that moment after he came back from down 28 to three, you can never top that. This is it. This is the pinnacle of your career. I remember thinking he should take the trophy and he should hand it to the commissioner and say, stick this in your trophy case like Paul Crew <laughs> at the end of the longest yard and just walk away. That that would have been the perfect time to do it. And I remember his wife, Giselle Boonchin, or as you would say, Boondenshin, suggesting that what else can he do? What Wouldn't that have been the ultimate time to call it a career and walk away? Yeah, yeah I mean, it would have, but it didn't matter. The next year they went to the Super Bowl and he – had a phenomenal uh, you know, phenomenal game again against the Eagles. Of course, they lost, but uh, and then he gets the Rams Super Bowl. You know, not shortly after that. So, yeah, good thing he didn't call it quits. And you know, Brady, that second Super Bowl run that we just saw with the Patriots, uh, very, very special at that late in his career. And I remember in the aftermath of that Super Bowl, trying to figure out how much longer he was going to play, and the consensus was three more years. Well, the three more years have come and gone. And he's still going. He's still playing. And he's going to be playing for the Buccaneers this season. And unfortunately, won't be playing the Patriots this year unless they meet in the Super Bowl. All right, my pick, easy one. I thought this was the obvious first pick. Brett Favre's first trip back to Lambeau Field. Not just because 
he went back to Lambeau Field because he went back with a team the Packers specifically never wanted him to play for. When he unretired in 2008 and forced to trade, the Packers put a term in the deal that sent him to the Jets that if he got traded by the Jets to the Lions, the Vikings, or the Bears, the compensation would increase to three first-round draft picks. They tried to keep him out of the division forever they didn't bank on the Jets cutting him after only one year which they did so he was free and clear went to the Vikings and showed up at Lambeau Field that it was a late afternoon game on Fox the noise was deafening every time he was on the field the bows were as loud as I've ever heard them and he beat the Packers that day he got a chance to stick it to them he wanted to stick it to him and he felt like he'd been wrong because he felt like they pushed him out when he wasn't ready to retire. They took advantage of his annual wavering on whether or not to keep playing to insist on a decision in early 2008. And as soon as he said no, they shoved him out the door and they barricaded it. That's why he was upset and he got his shot at revenge and got it, cashed in on it the next year. Yeah, no, it was it was great. You're right. It was big time revenge. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that I totally agree that like with the fact that Brett Favre should feel like he got pushed out the door. You know, again, you said it. This is a guy that was kind of, holding their feet to the fire every offseason for about three or four offseasons before that to where finally I think they just felt like, man, how many years can we keep, you know, living this way? So I get it. All right, my second pick, I'm going to my old coach, Johnny Gruden. I mean, what speaks better revenge for, hey, this team traded me as the head coach, got two first-round picks, all right, and now – We'll see you in the Super Bowl, and I'll beat your butt there and get my first Super Bowl championship for myself and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. To me, that was the ultimate revenge game. And not that there was, you know, overly bad blood between the Raiders and John Gruden. I do think there was some form of, uh, you know, not getting along at that time, which led to Gruden, you know, wanting to get out of there too. But you know, again, who could have ever saw in their crystal ball that they trade him to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? They end up meeting in the Super Bowl, you know, two skulls with a patch in their eye. And John Gruden basically built that Raiders team and took Don- Tony Dungy's great team that he built and just infused a little bit more offense to get them over the top. And of course, they had that great Super Bowl win. And to me, that would be one of the ultimate revenge performances. Well, I agree with you there. And look, he still says, hey, I've been traded before. I mean, he had to be salty about the notion that he got traded from the Raiders to the Buccaneers, and it just fell together perfectly. Look, the Buccaneers, they may have beaten any team from the AFC that year, but the best team for Gruden to be playing in the Super Bowl that year was the Raiders. He knew their offense. He he knew it so well, and they changed so little that Tim Brown a few years ago— that, that idea that Bill Callahan threw the game to let John Gruden win a Super Bowl, that that's how bad it was, how unprepared the Raiders were for the reality that John Gruden knew everything they were going to be doing. Well, yeah, they, they were running the same exact offense that they ran with John Gruden. John Gruden had wired Rich Gannon to do certain things versus different looks. And ultimately what happened is John Gruden used that against Rich Gannon and the Raiders. Oh, if you show a blitz to the tight end side, you know, Rich Gannon's going to get the 370, 371 smoke. Okay, Gruden knew that. He's going to check to that. So when he checks to that, guys, we want you to drop out. We're not going to blitz now. We're going to get the coverage. So many instances of that. I still, that is the head scratcher of all time. Why Gannon, the Raiders, Bill Callahan didn't change some of their verbiage and some of their attack 
to think that John, John Gruden played scout team quarterback that week. If you remember, you've heard that story where, for, yep. where he played Rich Gannon. So the defense could get used to all the audibles that he would make. All right. Next one for me, Andy Reid had been the coach of the Philadelphia Eagles from 1999 through 2012 was fired abruptly at the end of the 2012 season, landed on his feet with the Kansas city chiefs. It was a Thursday night in the 2013 season, the chiefs and the Eagles get together and Andy Reid quickly got his revenge on the team that gave up on him. The Chiefs beat Chip Kelly and company that night. And really, look, the Eagles have won a Super Bowl since then, so they can't be upset about it. Reed has won his Super Bowl, so he can't be upset about it. But, you know, and and he's not the kind of guy that's going to flaunt it. But clearly, it had to feel good for him to, to go back to Philadelphia a year after being let go by the team and beating the Eagles, beating the team he largely built with a team that he had inherited and had to get up to speed quickly. So that's my second round pick. Let's take a break. We'll do round three of today's draft. All-time best revenge games when PFT Live continues right after this. All right, I can't get used to these short breaks, Chris. We don't hardly have a chance to catch our breaths, and that's good, so we can just keep on talking. Round three of the best revenge games in NFL history draft. You're up first. Okay, I mean, I'm kicking your butt in this draft right now. Let me finish no, you're it right not. here. No, you're not. Don't even – no, you're not. Oh, mine are, no, mine are all-timers. Yours are just good. Come mine on. are great. Come on. Okay. Come on. Joe Montana. I mean, this is – the third pick, this is this solidifies it. You're done. Put the nail in the coffin. It's over. Joe Montana, revenge against the 49ers? I mean, we've never seen anything like that. A guy who won the Super Bowl with four times with one team and won, what, three Super Bowl MVPs and another other bunch of NFL MVPs? They wanted him out the door for Steve Young. And then came 1994 and the 49ers and Steve Young. And, oh, can Steve Young get over the hump and take the 49ers to the Super Bowl and do all that? We were certainly questioning that. Montana was already having a little success with Kansas City the year before in the playoffs. And you're going, wow, this is amazing. Joe Montana, who you know had to be pissed off about being replaced by Steve Young with the 49ers and having to deal with that kind of towards his end, end of his tenure there. To get that type of revenge, win that football game, uh, let's see. And his stats, you know, they were good. They weren't great. You know, 203 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, 24-17 victory for the Kansas City Chiefs and Joe Cool Montana. All right, look, I I knew that one was going to make its way in. And if I had thought that Kirk Cousins – I don't know why I didn't even think of Kirk Cousins as the highest passer in Vikings history. On Kirk Cousins, you're a hater on him. That's why. I'm not a hater. <laughs> I like I like Kirk. Uh, all right. When he's able to actually throw the football, he throws it very well. My concern is that when the play breaks down, uh, the the uh, drive breaks down and uh, nothing happens. All right. Um, my, now you got me all flustered and distracted. I know. My I next pick. I got two to choose from. I'm gonna go with the Eagles. Facing Terrell Owens the year after he tore the team apart. And I remember seeing the pregame. They were chanting. They were jeering. They were letting him have it. And the Eagles beat the Cowboys and Terrell Owens in his return to the Lincoln Financial Field where uh, he had played for a couple of years before he blasted his way out of town. And uh, that had to be almost as rewarding to Eagles fans as ultimately winning a Super Bowl because they went from loving that guy to hating that guy given the way he tore up the franchise throughout the 2005 season. And his whole approach was, 
you're not going to pay me. You're not going to trade me. I'm going to be as disruptive as I possibly can be until you trade me or cut me. And uh, it wasted a whole season for the Eagles. Who, who knows how good they could have been in 2005. But having that constant distraction completely threw them off the rails a year after they had gone to the Super Bowl. So they got their revenge the next year, sticking it to Terrell Owens, his first trip back to Philadelphia. Yeah, they stuck it to him. You're right. And, you know, I, I've heard a lot of different stories there, you know, as far as that conversation. I know I've had a lot of uh, a lot of players that were on that team who said, you know, T.O., yeah, he was a pain in the butt, but Donovan McNabb deserved some of the blame, too. So I, I think it was a little bit of a two-way street that way. But, you know, that was a good one nonetheless. And T.O. at that time was, you know, arguably the best receiver in football. And I think in that game, he only had like three catches for 45 yards. So that was that was shutting him down. I, I mean, there were some other good ones to have here, too. I did think about Manning, you know, Peyton Manning getting revenge on the Patriots in the 2006 AFC Championship game. You know, the fact that they had knocked them out of the playoffs two years before that. But, th- but I don't look at no. that as revenge. I always hate the idea. It's revenge. You can't take revenge against a team that shows up and does its job and wins the game. They beat you. There's no reason for revenge. You get revenge on them if they egg your car afterward or if they, you know, if they they they, they throw a pie in your face. So they, they, they do something above and beyond doing their jobs and well, winning the game. The there's some was cheap throwing- shot or something like that. Well, the world was throwing pies in the face of Peyton Manning at the time, though, that he couldn't get the to the Super Bowl. Were. Well, I know, but it still had revenge factor in it. I mean, everybody was going, oh, Manning's not clutch. Brady's so much clutcher. They were down 21 to 6. You know, the Patriots, of course, were, you know, the you know on average, the best team in football for the four years previous to that. So, you know, again, you know, I do think it classifies as revenge a little bit. I do, yes. Well, I, I, I don't, I don't, I just, I never like the concept of getting revenge against a team that merely did what every team tries to do, which is win a football game. To me, it's got to be something more than that. All right, let's take. What a about break. Marcus Mar- Allen doing to the Raiders? That was a good one too. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Well, and and that really fits into the concept of revenge. I mean, because Al Davis decided for whatever reason. Marcus Allen is going to be frozen out. He's going to rot on the bench. And to get to Kansas City and have a chance to stick it to the Raiders, yeah, that was uh, just his existence on the Chiefs was revenge. Even if he lost (laughs) to the Raiders every time he played him, just the fact that he got out from under Al Davis's thumb and was able to go be a productive player with their biggest rival, the Chiefs, was uh, was, uh, revenge. Won nine out of the ten meetings with with the Chiefs, too. The Raiders only beat the Marcus Allen Chiefs one time out of ten when he was there. So he got his revenge. Revenge. All right, we're going to take a break. Does you putting shaving cream in the cleats of Jeff Hosteller count as revenge? I'm revenge, I yeah. Made that my third round don't pick. mess with, don't mess with the big effort, or you will get revenge from his <laughs> sons. <laughs> Lamar Jackson posted some workout photos yesterday, and he had a fairly controversial training partner. We'll tell you who it was when PFT Live continues right after this. Ravens quarterback and NFL MVP Lamar Jackson working out with his cousin Marquise Hollywood Brown and Antonio Brown. We activated Hollywood Brown said posting to Twitter. You're also not socially distancing guys. Listen, are you clue? How clueless are you? There is a pandemic that is killing people by the thousands. You well, should not Mike, be standing like that. You should they're not, not be as clueless as the governor of Florida who didn't. Yeah, he shows horrible leadership. So what do you expect? You know, when the person that's running your state doesn't make a big deal about it. And if you're not following every ounce of the news, then 
That's what happens. And that's the perfect example. I mean, again, and then in Florida, do you know how many people I know from this New York area who flew down to Florida when this whole pandemic started because they said, oh, everything's going to shut down. I'm going to go down to Florida. I mean, you know, again, it's just it's craziness. I don't understand why each state keeps making the same mistake. I mean, it, apparently it's going to take all 50 of us to do it until we finally realize, oh, wait, uh, it's all followed the same path in every state. Yet we all seem to make the same mistake. And I just come on, everybody, let's go. Florida finally has a stay-at-home order in place. It's not as restrictive as other states. There were, at last count that I saw last night, 39 states that had it. What are the other 11 states thinking? I don't know. Look, we try to be your respite from this, but but we, we can't get away from all of it, especially when there's a picture of three guys hanging all over each other when we're supposed to be six feet apart. How stupid are these people? I mean, plus, are you paying no attention to the news or are you just deliberately defying the requirements of what we are trying to do to keep people alive? You know, again, I don't think any of those three are stupid guys, just to clarify that. I think that they're they're young they're being and they stupid. have bravado. No, they're they, being, yeah, Chris, at this You're point, great. they're being stupid. It's too they late to say, careless. we didn't yes. know. It's too late right. to say, oh, yeah, no, it's no big deal. It's just a flu. Those days are over. That is shameful that people are still doing that, and the people who do it need to be called out so people take this stuff seriously. I don't care if it's Lamar Jackson or some guy on the street. That's it for today's Pro Football Talk Live. Back in a happy place. See you Friday. Bye. <laughs> Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag and Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.